0: Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergy Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management and so passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I introduce some content around the idea of managing risk that we use when we deliver face-to-face leadership programs. This is our 10th content episode for Season 2, and also happens to be the 10th content episode of our Synergy Curriculum ecosystem. And look, the reason I wanted to explore the idea of managing risk, it's because I wanted to extend people's view of what risk is. In much of the work that we do, our customers have a very strong focus on managing risk from a safety perspective. For me, we need to look beyond just safety and explore customer risk, people risk, competitor risk and so on, and so on. So during the episode, I begin by exploring about how we view risk. I introduce a simple four-step framework for managing risk, and I also look at a real example from our business where I explain the risk of having a very strong reliance on one customer. And I end the episode by looking at how we can control risks and why we must always be thinking about it. So keep listening, and as always, we'd like to hear your thoughts on our content around risk. And if there is any leadership or management idea or content that you would like me to explore on the show, please send me through an email or LinkedIn message. Now, on with the show. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world. Giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor, and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Well, here we are again with another content episode of our podcast, and today I want to take a slightly different approach and that is to look at something which quite often in the programs that I deliver, we always tend to have one sort of perspective and I'm I'm going to take today to really try to expand the perspective around that and it's this idea of managing risk and it's something which I think leaders at all levels of leadership need to be thinking about because risk does apply in so many different circumstances and I think it's a really good uh, topic for today's podcast. One of the, the, the most common aspects or ways, perspectives in which we view risk is always through safety risk. A lot of our clients are heavy industrial and so they have very strong safety programs and as a result of that they're very much generally looking at risk through the lens of safety. I don't want to take away from safety risk I want to expand our view of risk because there are so many parts to it, so many parts to risk. One of the things that we often talk about with risk is this idea of likelihood and consequence. So they're the two big things and when you identify any type of risk what you'd like to consider is what's the likelihood of that happening and if it does happen what's the consequence. They're the two big things and I thought the first way to start it off would be that to line this up with some of the materials that we do in the face-to-face programs and that is to take risk and look at it from a very personal perspective, first of all. And this is the, the first thing I'd like you to consider. Think about your role as a leader. I'd like you to think about what are the most important deliverables that you're required to deliver as part of your role. And let me give you an example. So one of the most important things I need to do within Syngin Group is obviously the, the, the face-to-face delivery of our leadership programs and the... I suppose you'd call it the customer acquisition and customer uh, management side of what we do with our leadership clients. So they're probably two of the most important deliverables. Next thing I'd like you to think about is what are the resources and the conditions you need to be able to effectively deliver those. So if I look at what I need as a facilitator, there's a whole range of things I need. So I need all the stuff which I use as a trainer. So that's things like music and laptops and speakers and pens and sticky notes and all of those things, run sheets. I need all of those things. I also need certain conditions, I think, for our programs to be the best. And ideally, we always suggest to people to run them off-site in a hotel or a venue. And that's the sort of conditions that I believe when you combine that sort of environment with all the resources I've got, that allows me to deliver my one of my most important deliverables to the highest standard I possibly can. So then we think about, though, when it comes to the risk, is what happens if they become unavailable? So what happens if I didn't have all of those things which I normally have? So would the my success as a facilitator, would it be the same? Well, the answer is no, because if I didn't have all the things that I use in a training environment, didn't have resources and music and pens and flip charts and flip chart markers and sticky notes and all of those things, and I wasn't able to deliver it in the type of professional training environment that we like to deliver it in, there's going to be problems. So that's just an example of how we can look at risk at a very personal level. So then we get back to what I said just before, likelihood and consequence. So what happens, we know what might happen. So what's the likelihood of that happening? Well, pretty pretty low, really. Uh, my programs are generally scheduled anywhere between 6 and 12 months out. So we know we're always training in certain environments. I'm a self-contained trainer, therefore I've always got everything I need. Yeah, do I travel? Uh, could it get lost on a plane? Well, maybe, but I generally fly the day before, so the airlines are pretty good at, even if they lose something, finding it pretty quickly. So the likelihood of all of those things occurring pretty pretty low now the consequence if they did well I think I'd be able to minimize the, the consequence by being able to just talk through it with all the all the people that, I, that I'm training and, and, and come up pretty quickly with a with a counter plan so in my circumstance likelihood low and as a result consequence pretty low I think and so as a result probably not a high risk. But if you look at it, the other one I mentioned, which was about customer acquisition, suddenly changes. So if I wasn't able to continue to attract new clients and, and new organisations to Sanjum, there would be consequences to that. You know, We would have serious financial challenges. We would have uh, serious employment challenges. So there would be serious consequences to that. So if I had to look at it on a risk Perspective about those two deliverables. I'd have to say that the one that's puts Synergen at most risk is the, is the customer viewpoint we spoke about, and so and the, if it did happen, the consequence would be significantly more. So what that allows me to do is when I'm not face to face training people, what I'm able to do is very much focus my attentions on the customer side of things and consider well how am I going to reduce that risk. But we'll we'll get to that shortly. So for those of you that have been through any of my uh, programs, you know that I'm a big fan of frameworks, tools, models, because I think they allow you to take ideas, which can be quite theoretical or concepts, which sometimes can be difficult to interpret or hard to understand. I think a framework or a tool allows you to take it back, apply it in the workplace, and see whether that tool framework model is right for you. So today's show is no different. So very straightforward, simple approach approach to risk management, and that is a four-step process. So with any type of risk, the first thing I'd like you to consider is that you need to identify what the risk is. Once you've identified the risk, I'd like you to move to the second stage, which is this idea of analysing the risk. This is where you assess the level of risk and you prioritise to think about how you're going to manage it. Third stage is control. That's where you're thinking about, well, we know what the risk is, We've decided that it's uh, significant or, or, or medium risk, whatever it might be, and we need to think about how we're going to manage it, how we're going to control it. And the fourth stage is this idea of a monitor. So we want to make sure that we're, whatever control mechanisms we put in place, and we monitor those to make sure that we haven't created any new risks, that the risk is still uh, at, at a risk level that we're comfortable with, and we want to continue to follow up. We don't just want to identify these risks once, forget about them, and then all of a sudden they come back and they impact impact us in significant ways. So it's a very, very simple four-step process. You can use it any type of risk. Safety risk management programs often use the same four, but these four apply to every type of risk you can imagine. So you identify it, you analyze what the risk is, work out how you're going to manage it and control it, and then you monitor the risk ongoing. So I want to dive into each each stage of the of the risk management process. And what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to share with you a real example from Thinogen, uh which I use in in my face to face programs. And I and I think what it does is just a, it should allow you and support you in just making sure that that you're thinking of risk beyond. the the most common way we view it which is which is safety risk the first thing i like you to consider is there's all sorts of different categories of risks and what categories can do is just help you focus and prioritize a little bit so let's have a have a look at some so the first category is what we call internal risks and these are things based around your people Uh, It could be around strategy, it could be around your equipment, it could be about the financial situation of the business, it could be about information and data. They all could be considered high-level internal risk categories. But then you move over to the other side of the coin, and if you've got internal, you've got your external risks. These risk categories can be things like the market in which your business chooses to operate in. It could be specific competitors. It could be government policy. It could be particular legislation and compliance. So these are just a couple of starters to really think about this idea of risk categories and internal and external. And so I want to share with you something which happened in Synergyn and I think it illustrates the point really well. So at the end of the 2018 uh, financial year, uh, I obviously do have a fair bit to do with the financial side of the business and when I was looking at our customers and their contribution to our overall uh, financial position, what I was able to to draw out and identify through all the data that we collect and use to analyse how we're going is that one of our customers our biggest customer, accounted for 78% of our revenue. So that is a absolutely huge, monstrous, significant risk for a small business like Senniger, and here's why. Most businesses can probably withstand losing 20% of their business. And very few businesses can withstand losing 80% of their business. Because you imagine this, in my, my line of work, uh, generally once we have a relationship with, a, with an employer, it tends to be longer term, and that's based on the relationships we generally form with most often the HR, people and culture, or learning and development teams. So imagine if one of those people left and someone new came in, and as a consequence, they decided they wanted to change training providers. That is a real-life risk uh, for us, Uh, It's actually happened, and I'm going to to share with you shortly a a separate example of that. So when you look at our our, our, our customer distribution, and you say 78% of your revenue is coming from one customer, alarm bells go off. So then we look at the likelihood and consequence, and I know that it is, there is a likelihood that the, the, the main person at that business could move and things could change. But what turns it into a very significant risk is the consequence. The consequence of losing 80% of your revenue is uh, yeah, we wouldn't be able to keep on all the staff that we have and it would put us in significant financial difficulty. So as an example, that's how I was able to identify the risk. Then I went into... Uh, stage two and i sort of touched on it just at the end of stage one it's this idea of analyzing it so you really need to go deep to make sure that you understand the risk what are all the contributing factors how did it come about why you're in this position what are all the things that you need to think about and as you go through that one of the things that quite often comes to the front is this idea of a risk matrix now you've already heard me talk about this idea of likelihood and consequence. And so what what we do in, in a risk matrix perspective is we put those into a table format. And what we do is we look at what is the, the likelihood of something and we tend to use five different descriptors for that. Is the likelihood rare? Is it unlikely? Is it possible? Is it likely? Or is it certain? So you imagine that in a table format and you're looking at that down the left-hand side. Then across the top, you've got consequence, and we tend to look at five descriptors of consequence. Negligible, marginal, serious, critical, and catastrophic. Now, depending on the context of the risk you're dealing with, the, the, the descriptors are going to be slightly different. Uh, if you think about, for example, us in the customer example that I'm using to illustrate the point, catastrophic would be to lose that customer because most likely uh, we would have significant impact. But if you look at uh, catastrophic from a safety perspective, most likely that's going to mean something like either one or multiple fatalities. So it's sort of a very different lens and a very different perspective. And so you need to think about that in the context because catastrophic Losing, obviously, you know, shutting down a business because you've lost all your customers is very different to someone losing their life. So, even though the same descriptors uh, are there, catastrophic, you do need to consider the context of that. And so, what the matrix allows you to do when you piece it all together is work out what's your risk rating. And so, if I think about the fact that uh, you know the likelihood of, of this particular person leaving and changing the training provider, it's probably low or unlikely likely unlikely at the moment I'd say so that probably gives it a low but then because I'd like to think that it's you know maybe not a catastrophic but it'd be critical for us when you combine unlikely and critical you probably end up with a risk rating of about a medium so something that's really warrants some level of attention and again I'm going to encourage you if you if you're interested in some of this stuff please please send me through an email and hey, you're keen to get a copy of the materials that I'm, uh, I'm using as reference point as I record these because obviously it's sometimes easier when you've got things in front of you visually rather than just listening to the audio. But essentially, likelihood and consequence are the big things in analyse, understanding all the contributing factors and really taking the time to dig deep and make sure you've got a very good understanding of what you uh, need to do in terms of the risk. So you've identified the risk, you've analysed the risk, now you need to think about what what are you going to do about it. That's where this idea of control. And so generally control um, happens in two ways. It's either preventative and that is you're being proactive, the steps you take before something goes wrong. Unfortunately, quite often people get very reactive and become responsive and that's what happens after you, after something has gone wrong. So me, I tend to be a bit of a, a, a is sort of uh, business person. So I really wanted to get on the, the front foot. So one of the things that's often used in in managing risk, particularly from a safety perspective, but it's also very useful for looking at risk in all other ways, is something called the hierarchy of control. And essentially what this does is it asks you to walk through a process of, of, of thinking about, what could you possibly do, for example, to eliminate the risk? Is there any way you can mitigate or reduce the risk? Is there any way you could transfer or share the risk? Is there any way you can retain or accept the risk? And what that does is allows you to think about, okay, let's start at the top, because ideally we we'll to try to avoid and eliminate risk wherever we can. So, in this example that I used, can we avoid or eliminate that risk? Potentially, Potentially but very difficult when you're dealing with customers to, to eliminate your customers and eliminate that risk completely. So, let me work down to this idea of mitigate and reduce. And that is where, in the example that I've been using, I decided to focus my attentions because... If I can reduce the customer spread down from 78, say, for example, in a year down to, say, 50, that's going to reduce the risk significantly. Suddenly, the consequence, if it does happen, is going to be far greater because I've still got more revenue coming in than I did in the previous example. So my attentions went all into this level two, which is mitigate and reduce. So when you are dealing with that sort of customer distribution, the only way to really do that is look at how can you reduce their contribution by increasing the contribution of other customers to the bottom line. And so it was very much about uh, looking for new customers that might be interested in working with us and doing some of the programs that we deliver. I went through the no real way to transfer or share the risk, which is the third level, and certainly not in a position to retain or accept that level of risk. It's just too much. And so the goal was very, very clear. 2019 financial year, that number of seventy-eight percent needed to reduce. So then we look we go into stage four of the the, the the risk management process and this is really where you're going to monitor that risk. So I was very happy to, to, to sort of tell you the, 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 the end of that story and 2019 financial year which is yeah, nearly four months ago now, as I'm recording this, when I look at the the customer distribution and percentages of their contribution to our total revenue, that customer has dropped down to under forty, uh, under fifty percent to exactly forty eight percent, to be specific. So that's a really good outcome to be able to do that in a year. But now we've got to think about sales because we're in the monitoring stage and almost going back to the to the previous stage will. Am I happy to accept that level of risk or do I want to reduce or mitigate further? So I knew at the end of 2018 that I wasn't going to be able to get that down as low as I wanted it in one year. It's just the nature of business. It's the nature of the type of industry we do and the services we provide. So from a risk perspective, I had to take a longer-term approach. So what I'm able what I'm able to share with you is that in the first year, we were able to get it down from 78 to 20 to 48. In the second year of managing this risk, our goal is to get it down to less than 20. And that is going to become the benchmark for what we do in that we don't want any one of our customers to be contributing more than 20% of our total revenue. So that's led us to do a number of things. We now have uh, another director in the business who, who does have revenue responsibilities. We have another full-time staff member in the business who now has revenue responsibilities. So when you and you have me with revenue responsibilities. So when you look at it, our our approach to managing the risk has not only been to have a very clear goal in terms of how we're going to reduce it over a two-year period. It's about what are the things that we need to do to do that. So we've invested more in particular marketing activities. We've invested in bringing on revenue people with revenue responsibility. And that's an example of how we continue to monitor it. I monitor this, that particular figure, every single day. And the reason I monitor it every single day is because I really need to keep my finger on the pulse because it'd be very easy to not focus on, you know, that, that percentage and getting it down to where it needs to get to. So to give you an example of why it's so important to 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 manage and, and focus on your risks and continue to, to look at them, is as it stands right now, that, that particular client has gone back up above forty eight percent. And that is due to all our the way we had a quite a significant amount to 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 invoice them to start this financial year. But what, what I know that as I look forward towards the end of the 2020 financial year is I'm expecting there to be a, a significant decrease in where it is right now. So at the moment, I'm, I'm looking at my one of my spreadsheets now, they're seeing about 66% of our total revenue. But what I know is that with what's coming up and what we'll be planning to uh, do over the, the remaining sort of nine months of this financial year, is that will drop down lower than where it is right now, significantly lower. So we're still aiming for our 20, 20%, 20%. But it's important to monitor these risks. And if you start looking at things risk from the perspective of people, same thing applies. You need to identify what the risk is. So you might have a key person in your business who can only is very, very skilled at doing a certain task or performing certain functions, and what would happen if they left? That's where you start to analyse it and you start to look at the likelihood and consequence, which is stage two. So the likelihood of that person, the key person leaving, and if they did, what would happen? So then you think about the control measures, how are you going to control that? Well, you might offer them development opportunities, you might offer them a promotion, you might offer them some type of extra incentive, bonuses, payroll, pay increases, whatever it is that's right for you. And then you need to monitor it through regular conversations. Are you still happy where you're working? Uh, are you still enjoying your role? These type of things allow you to apply the risk to a uh, people situation. So this process of managing risk is so so crucial, and, and I'm not going to uh, well, I'm going to stress the point. I think all leaders need to be thinking about this in the context of your leadership. So if you're a frontline leader that's responsible for a small team and I'd like you to think about, well, what are the risks associated there? Yeah, of course you've got the safety if you're in an industrial environment, but beyond that, what are the risks? What are the risks? Are they people risks? Are they equipment risks? You know, for example, if your equipment is, is not uh, as good as it needs to be, and one of your you go out to a particular customer site and your equipment isn't able to perform there's no safety issue there but it's just not able to perform to the standard the customer requires well then the customer might be thinking well if that's all you can do for us maybe we should look elsewhere you think about your competitors as a risk who are your competitors do you know who they are and do you know what they do and what they offer and how they do it now I don't advocate copying your competitors I do advocate having your finger on the pulse. And it's something I'm very, very passionate about. And I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example in my world. So I can tell you now that one of the biggest competitors any training company has with uh, in face-to-face training in leadership is the Australian Student Management. They've been around a long time. Uh, their courses are all okay. And what they do is they cater for organizations that can't Put a certain number of people together in a room. So, if an organisation only has one or two, generally, they send them off and they go to Australian Student Management. So, I don't focus on uh, every little piece of the content or the courses they're running or anything like that. But what I do do is every now and then have a have a bit of a look and say, okay, what the, what are their price brackets? What are their price ranges? Because if that's what the industry standard is, if that's what people are used to paying, well, that gives me an insight into potentially what I can charge. So I look at that. And I do look at the themes of some of their programs. So right now, there's emotional intelligence everywhere. There's a lot of change programs around. So I just keep my finger on the pulse there. And I don't go to the to the extent of looking at exactly what's in all their content or or going and attending a course by stealth just so I can get my hands on the materials or anything like that. But it's about this keeping your finger on the pulse with your competitors. It's something I believe strongly in and I think everyone and every team could do it. So we've had a bit of a chat about your people. We've had a bit of a chat about your competitors. I've given you an example about how I view the customer one. Of course, the safety risks come into play. Anyone that's in any sort of industrial environment safety risk is probably the type of risk that is most talked about as it should be let's expand let's expand our risk thinking to beyond that and i think team leaders supervisors managers operations managers general managers whoever it may be uh should all be doing that and so i wanted to give you just a, a, a finish up with a little tool that you can use to really start to look at risk and it's and one that's often used, and the reason it's often used is it's it's a really effective tool, and it's called SWOT Analysis. And this is where you take some time with your team, by yourself, with your leadership team, however you want to structure it, and you start to look at things like what are the strengths of the business or the team, what are the weaknesses of the strengths and businesses of the team, what are the opportunities that exist, and what are the threats to the business or the team. And what you'll find is that when you look at the, the weaknesses and the threats, they tend to be the things which lend themselves to a bit of a bit deeper thought in terms of risk. So what, what do they mean to the business in terms of risk? So if you've got a competitor out there that's being super ingre- aggressive and just trying to get market share, not worrying about pricing, to ignore that competitor would be remiss. They pose a risk to you, to your livelihood, to your business, to your team. So it makes sense to have an understanding of what they're trying to do. So, really hope that this uh, risk episode has been useful. Just to quickly recap: identify the risks, analyze the risks, control the risks, monitor the risks. Something which we should all be doing. You need to look at it from the perspective of what's most relevant to you. I don't believe that. <laughs> so, for example, if you're if you're a frontline leader, I don't necessarily think you should be spending your risk thinking thinking about you know global economic forecasts and things like that, there's other people in the business to do that. But if you're a frontline leader leading a, a group of 10 people, potentially you're looking at the risk through the lens of, well, who are your key people and what do I do if they leave or move? Might be customer. So I think please apply this through the lens of your leadership context. I think that's the most important aspect of risk. It is important to look at risk from a safety perspective. It's also important to look at risk from so many other perspectives so i'm pretty much gonna gonna wrap it up from there uh, once again if you are interested in getting the the the, the printed materials for this shoot me through an email uh, i actually had one earlier this week so shout out to you mark really happy to be able to send you out the the materials that you uh requested due to one of our earlier episodes so uh that's it from me bye for now and happy listening that wraps up episode 90 of the synergy leadership podcast another great content and curriculum ecosystem episode for you i would like to encourage you to head on over to the synergy group website engage in the conversation with us tell us what you like about the episode tell us who you'd like us to interview or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to put together for you and if you are an iphone user please feel free head on over to the apple site and leave us a review it really does help us build awareness of the podcast In next week's episode, we have another great interview for you. I chat to Gihan Pereira, author of Disruption by Design, Leading Change in a Fast-Changing World. It's another great author interview episode. Until then, love to hear what you think. And as always, happy listening.